Mark chapter 4. We are at a famous portion of Scripture. It's the parable of the sower, sometimes called the parable of the soils, sometimes called the parable of the seed. Your Bible probably says parable of the sower. Does your Bible say that above chapter 4? It says the parable of the sower, which is true, uh, but it's also true, and I can see why you could call it the parable of the soils. And I could also see why you would call it the parable of the seed. So if we want to call it the seed and the sower and the soil, we could do that and we could cover all of our bases. Um, but it is an incredibly important parable because Jesus says of it, if you don't understand this one, you aren't going to understand any of them. So that makes it important. If in the book of Mark... Mark is very much the Cliff Notes version, as we've said before, and his uh, description of the parables of Jesus are minimal. There are not very many parables described in the book of Mark, but we are in chapter 4 going to get a few more next week, and they are pertaining primarily to the kingdom of God. Now, Matthew and Luke have a lot more parables, and John has zero parables. So of the synoptic Gospels, though, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is one of the few parables that's mentioned in all three Gospels. And it's explained. It is really one of the very few that is explained in a way that we get to hear it. Because, not in the text we're reading this morning, but in Mark chapter uh, 4, at the end of this section on parables, it says, with many parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. So the disciples in that close-knit group around Jesus got to hear the explanation, but the crowds didn't. But Jesus taught in parables a lot. So just giving you all that before we get started, let's read the parable of the sower, seeds, and soils, and then the explanation. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and, yielded, and it yielded no grain. And other seed fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, 
Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. I'm going to pray one more time. Lord, we need your help this morning. There are some basic, simple things in this, and there are some non-basic, non-simple things. Lord, we ask for your help. You tell us twice here to listen. He who has ears to hear, hear. So Lord, we are asking that you would grant us ears to hear this morning. And God, I am asking for help to explain all of it. Lord, to the best of my ability, God, help me to do that today. I thank you for it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, first off, I want to say that uh, Jesus is speaking to people that know what farming is. Now, he's in the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee or the Lake of Galilee, and he is probably preaching in an area that has a natural land surrounding up against this lake, and the crowd is so big that he has got to get in a boat, scooch out a little bit onto the lake, so it's creating a natural amphitheater-type setting. So his voice is projecting. We don't know how big the crowd is. I've heard some people suggest that this may have been, may have been one of the bigger crowds uh, that he experienced when we take the other Uh, Synoptic Gospels put this all together and look at it. It was a big group of people, and why are they here? Jesus has been preaching now in his ministry for a little over a year, probably, and his ministry has been marked by something nobody has ever, ever, ever seen before. People are being healed all over the place, He is preaching, according to Mark, as one who has authority and not as the scribes. When he preaches, they feel it. Like when a car with a nice bass system goes by and you feel it in your chest, they could feel the difference, the authority. It was powerful. And also the authority was demonstrated in the fact that when Jesus walks in the synagogues, demons start screaming. Now, if that doesn't cause a crowd to follow you, I don't know what will. If this Sunday morning, one of you demon-possessed people that are in the crowd, which there probably are, I praise and hope, but if there are, if you started screeching about God's power, oh my gosh, what's going on, and, and we caused the demon to go, do you think there'd be a crowd next week? There would be, because every last one of you would tell people about it. Or maybe you'd be a little creeped out and you wouldn't tell people about it. But it would spread. It's on a live stream, which Jesus didn't have. 
But if that happened here, the crowd would grow. And if the next week it happened and people that were all twisted up, I don't mean pretend, but I mean people all twisted up and messed up and they were being healed and there were miracle after miracle after miracle happening, the crowds would grow. And remember, we've already discussed in several places throughout here that rather than Jesus trying to capitalize on the fact that all these healings are happening, he keeps going back to teaching and preaching the Word of God. We've talked about this already. And his primary message, Mark 1, verse 15, is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. It is here. And I am the consummation of this promised Messiah that you've been looking for. I'm him. And I am telling the world that the kingdom is on you. But the crowds, as the crowds frequently are, this is human nature, are not so much interested in the lecture as they are interested in the demon screeching. Right? Let's be honest. That's why they're there. Miracles. Now, not all of them. It would be wrong of us to say that all of them are there for that reason. But the large crowds throughout the ministry of Jesus, we see it in the book of John, that the crowd gets big after he feeds the 5,000, and he starts telling them stuff like, unless you drink my blood and eat my body, you can't, you can't be my disciple. So Jesus' church growth methods were very poor. Jesus offended them intentionally. And that was one of my favorite moments, because Peter, uh, Jesus turns to the disciples, and he says, are you going to leave me too? And Peter says, where would we go? You have the words of life. So to them, it was words of life. To the others, it was repulsive. And they left. And that actually translates very well to what we've just read. Because Jesus looks at this crowd and he says, look at verse 3, listen. Let me say it in Spanish. Escuchen. And the reason I know that very clearly is the only Spanish I learned was that word because my Spanish teacher said this to me all the time. Esteban, escuchen. Now, I don't know why she said that other than the fact that I may have been a talk successively in class kid, and I was, but she would say it with the exclamation point. Escuchen, listen. This word in Greek is a command. This is when your mother or your father says, listen. This isn't a, hey, listen up, guys. That's not what this is. This is, listen. It's a command. And then he tells a parable. Now, if you are in the crowd and Jesus says, a sower goes out to sow and he throws out the seed. And some of it's on the packed ground. Birds come and eat it. Some of it lands on the rocky soil, which really means limestone underneath. It's got about, well, it's below the plow line, the limestone, but this is famous in Israel, that there's a lot of the ground that's got limestone underneath. The roots hit the limestone, kills the plant because it doesn't have anywhere to go. They would have understood that completely. There's other places that falls on the, on the ground amongst the thorns and the weeds, and then there's good soil. Now this sounds, this is not the way we would do farming, 
but this is the way that they did farming. Have you heard the word broadcasting? Broadcasting did not get invented by TV and radio stations. Broadcasting is actually a farmer's term, and that is what they called it. They reached into a bag of seed, and they broadcast it. That is what they actually did. And the seed went everywhere. Here's the other thing weird they did. They threw the seed out on the ground, and then they plowed it. Weird. That's not the way we would do it. That's the way they did it. One of the commentators that I was reading said that when he was uh, in Israel, and this has been about 50 years ago, he said he literally saw an example of this where a farmer was still doing that in one of these agricultural areas, and he was broadcasting the seed indiscriminately, and some of the seed was landing on the hard-packed path where everybody walked. Well, you, it's basically, that's like sowing seed on the concrete. It's not going anywhere. And some of it fell on the limestone underneath soil, and some of it fell in the thorns, and then he said out in the back, there was this area where just lush crops were growing. This is the way that they did it. This would have made a lot of sense to them. They would have understood it immediately, and they may have been saying, not real sure this is all that deep, Jesus. Not sure what you're trying to say, because every one of us get this. And that's all that he said. At the end of it, he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now Jesus obviously means that you have ears, but these aren't the ears he's talking about. You need spiritual ears to hear what I'm saying. And a lot of people didn't. Including the disciples who have to ask, uh, what was this about? Verse 10. When he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. Jesus, would you please explain what you mean? And then Jesus gives us the part that is super exciting in the parable and often totally overlooked. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. And then he says, Further, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. I don't know about you, but that, that lands on me hard. Do, do you not? You're like, wait, wait a second. You're intentionally, you're intentionally not revealing this to them? I'm going to read it again. To you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables. To you who are mine and who believe the secret of the kingdom of God has been given. But to those on the outside, that group of people that came and is in here right now, he's quoting Isaiah chapter 6. This little portion of scripture, they may indeed hear but not perceive and may indeed, uh, they may indeed see but not perceive, they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. He is quoting 
Isaiah chapter 6. And I think for us to really get the grasp of, of what Jesus uh, is saying, and this is a bit of a gut punch type of saying, I think we need to go back to Isaiah 6. So I want everybody to go with me to Isaiah 6. I want to remind everybody that um, Isaiah is a book of prophecy. Uh, it's one of the most exciting books with messian messianic prophecy. Um, but Isaiah the prophet, in the year that King Uzziah died, has this vision of God in the temple. And it's the total grace of God that God shows up, shows himself to Isaiah. Isaiah, in the presence of God, says, Woe is me, I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among an unclean people. The angel goes in to the altar of heaven, which he sees, grabs a coal, comes down. Imagine this. A burning coal in the hand of an angel and sticks it on his mouth to purge his unclean lips. And it's also metaphoric because Isaiah is going to become a messenger and speak the word of God. And once he does that, Isaiah goes, and we've preached about this. We sing a song about this. It's my favorite song that Jennifer does. Now my guilt is gone and my sins have been forgiven. It is a beautiful picture of how God's grace works. And then God says, verse 8, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. Now that is an awesome, motivational, get you revved up passage, right? Yes, yes, I want to go, I want to do. When I was a teenager, and I was on fire for Jesus, I, this passage used to, I would just, let's go! I couldn't stand it. Like, I, it made me excited. Can you tell? Keep reading. So Isaiah, <laughs> I'm a horrible sinner. I received this cleansing grace of God, and now God is looking for volunteers. Who are we going to send? <laughs> There's an audience of one. Just... <laughs> Keep that in mind. Who are we going to send? I'm, I'll go. Send me. Okay? Go and say to this people. Now listen to the prophetic message that God gives Isaiah. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Or as Jesus said in Mark, be forgiven. Then I said, how long, O Lord? Can you imagine? Super excited, high octane, here I am, send me. Here's what I need you to say. Keep preaching the message so that these people's hearts and ears and eyes are dull and glassy and refuse lest they would turn and be healed and be forgiven. And Isaiah's response to that is, Lord, how long is that going to last? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste. And the Lord removes people far away. And the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. 
and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. God sets this stage with this powerful vision of Himself. He sees the Lord high and lifted up, and the train of His robe fills the temple. The seraphim are there, these angels, this altar, these burning coals. God has this powerful supernatural encounter with Isaiah. He is ready to go, and the message is, preach a word of judgment on this hard-hearted people so that they get harder in their hearts, more callous, dull of hearing, lest they would turn and be healed. But this is only going to last for a while, this judgment that I am executing on these hard-hearted people. And at the end of it, there is this holy seed, this tenth, this small stump that's going to remain, and from there will grow a new tree. People in the modern era that want to be a prophet have not clearly at all read the prophets. Not even close. Can you imagine this being the assignment? This is what we, and Jeremiah had one like it. And Ezekiel. Prophets did not have peace and prosperity jobs. The prophets had, here's the judgment of God jobs. And the judgment on Israel in this passage is you are not listening, so I am going to preach the Word of God to you so that you are even worse. Your judgment will be compounded upon judgment. I know there's not a lot of amens yet. Go to Romans chapter 1 lest you think that this New Testament doesn't contain such words. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed. That's great, Pastor Steve. We start off with wrath as soon as we get to Romans. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They push it down. They don't want to see it. They don't want to look at it. They want to pretend it's not there. For what can be known about God is plain to them. This is why, side note, parentheses, this is why atheists aren't exactly honest. Not denying that they believe themselves to disbelieve that there is a God. But Romans is telling me that what is known about God is plain to them. And they are suppressing in their unrighteousness the knowledge of the truth. Because God has shown it to them. Verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. That's paganism. 
Therefore, God gave them up. This is hard. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up. That is verse 26. Verse 24, God gives them up to their lust. Verse 26, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. God gave them up to impurity. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. That's just tossed in there. Foolish, faithless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. That's an encouraging section of Scripture. It is actually an encouraging section of Scripture. It is the Holy Word of God, and it is a warning. Isaiah prophesied a prophecy of judgment, and the judgment was the Word of God is going to go out, and it is going to cause you to be more dull, more hard of hearing, more calloused, you are under the judgment of God. Though you hear, you do not hear. Though you see, you do not see. Romans helps me to see that a little clearer. This is a willful rejection of God completely, totally, and utterly. Whether people are actually verbalizing it this way, whether they're emotionally connecting and saying, I'm rejecting God, their lives and their debased mind is such that they completely get rid of God in all capacity in their life. They want nothing to do with Him. In particular, did you notice how this is connected directly to sin? Anybody noticing that? That this whole list in Romans is connected directly to the way that we live. And it's not just, it mentions homosexuality, it mentions murder, it mentions maliciousness, it also mentions gossip, and it mentions disobedient to parents. This willful hard-heartedness. Go back to Mark, if you would. When you read through this parable, you normally read the parable, you skip over verses 10 and 11 and 12, and then you get to the explanation. And you skip this incredibly important part where Jesus is saying, 
there's something happening here in the preaching of the Word of God. Jesus quotes the judgment passage of Isaiah to describe why he is preaching to them in parables. They are under the judgment of God. They are refusing to hear his message. They are there for miracles. They are there for warm fuzzies. Church, check yourself, please. Are you here because your mom and dad think you should be? Are you here because this is what you do on a Sunday morning? Are you here because it's the right thing to do and that's why I'm here? But you're not actually hearing. You're not actually seeing. You're not actually perceiving. I listened to about a lot of sermons this week on this passage because I recognized I needed a lot of help here. One of the sermons I listened to from one of my absolute favorites is John Piper, and he, preaching to his congregation when he talked about this, he said, as I was studying this passage and studying Isaiah, my heart broke because if the sower is sowing the Word, which is what he's doing, and for some people the more repetitive preaching that they're hearing is creating in this judgment callousness because they've already turned in some capacity that God has given them over to a debased mind. So my preaching keeps up on them further judgment. (laughs) I am not thrilled about that prospect. That there's people listening and people that used to go to this church years ago and I can think of all kinds of names where the Word of God was just... Yeah. Just trying to be a good person. that just don't care at all. Their heart unchanged. And so my preaching becomes an instrument of judgment. Not because I'm perfect, good gravy, no. But because the Word of God is preached. And it becomes a stack of evidence of the callousness of the heart to not hear. Like we read in Romans, and God, I don't, listen, church, if you want an answer, when does this happen? When does that Romans 1 passage happen? God gave them up to their lusts. God gave them up to dishonorable passions. God gave them over to a debased mind. When does that happen? Have no clue. That's that's God's business. I have no idea when God does that. But God clearly does that. And Jesus is telling them, you are hearing... But everybody else said, okay, praise the Lord. That was interesting. 
You guys are hearing, he says, but the ones on the outside are not. I don't have a perfect explanation for that either. Either. Is that all right if I don't know all the answers this morning? I'm just going to tell you I don't have a perfect answer for you. I have two ways you can go there, but... It's incredible to me that Jesus brings this judgment passage into this discussion. Verse 13, he says, Do you not understand this parable? How will you then understand all the parables? If I were the disciples, if I was that group of people that were the disciples and then the other crowd that was there, if I was there, I would be like, Jesus, you just invoked Isaiah in the famous judgment passage. You just, you, what? <laughs> uh, help us out. And so Jesus now explains kind of what we've already discussed. He says, the sower sows the word. So every sower of the word is a sower. He, Jesus, is obviously the one in view here because he has been broadcasting the message. He's been sowing the seed for a year in his ministry, and his message is, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he teaches a more accurate understanding of the Torah. He tells them what they should be doing and how they should be living. He is preaching the word of God. And for some of these people, it's creating a harder packed callousness. And for other people, it is creating something with fruit. And he says, the sower sows the word. Verse 15, these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Just a hard-hearted, zero penetration, laying on the surface the word of God. If anybody's ever planted grass seed, and watch the birds come swooping in. Anybody experienced this before? Or uh, in your garden, you plant and the birds are like just waiting and they come swooping in to get it. And if the seed, if I throw bird seed, in fact, uh, where I work at the bank, uh, one of our neighbors throws breadcrumbs and seed out onto the parking lot. There is no chance that that seed is ever going to sprout, but there is a lot of starlings. I don't know why you would feed them. I would personally use... A BB gun with starlings. But uh, I don't know why you... Anyway, they come in and get all the food. Jesus says this is what Satan is doing. How many times, even if you're a born-again believer, we've already discussed this judgment element of this passage, but I think there's a, another application here. And that is for Christians hearing the Word every Sunday. This is for Christians reading the Scripture. This is for Christians and hearing messages they need to hear or not hearing messages that they need to hear. That our hearts can be problematic and Satan comes swooping in immediately to take the Word of God. It gets a little better in verse 18 or verse 16, but not really. I'm looking at this as a progression of the heart. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. 
the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. That bothers me. Do you know why that bothers me? How many joyful, emotional experiences have I seen people who I thought were probably Christians have in church services? Does anybody have any of those? Anybody have a kid go away to youth camp and come back super excited for Jesus? And now they have a deconstructed faith. They're 27 years old. They're adamantly opposed. Anybody know anybody like that? What happened to that joyful experience at youth camp? Jesus says these are the ones that sown on rocky, uh, yes, rocky ground. They hear the word. They receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves because, remember, there's limestone under the surface. There's a little bit of dirt. The root hits that limestone and goes nowhere. And he says, why? They endure for a little while. But when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Do you know, I want to make a direct application to our world from this passage. We have, over the last decade, seen a transition where we were a Christian culture, primarily, that applauded and celebrated Christianity in general. You put a little ichthus on your business card, it lets people know in the Bible Belt, that guy's probably a good guy, he's a Christian, right? I got a little Christian fish. Put it on the back of my car, I broadcast it everywhere, I'm a Christian, I'm a good person, I go to church. Now, my lifestyle and, and everything may have nothing to do with God, but at least I have this general sense that everybody around me is kind of a good person and a Christian. Everybody know what I mean? I mean America over all of our lifetimes. Over the last decade, this has begun to change, and being a Christian is not necessarily viewed as a good thing. We are still in the Bible Belt, but you go somewhere else, um, you go to Chicago, New York City, you go to a metro area and start talking about, read Romans chapter 1 in a metro area and see what happens. Read that passage of scripture that I read. Start, start saying that I believe that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Start talking in the exclusive language of scripture, which says, the only hope is Jesus. And you start talking that way, and people are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. You really believe that? Well, you're a bigot of some kind, clearly. Because the worst thing you can possibly be is somebody that believes something is absolutely true. Absolute truth is unacceptable. We have to have this thing called your truth. And the first time I heard that, I laughed out loud. I thought they were joking, but they weren't joking. They actually meant, oh no, that's your truth. That's your perception. That's, that's your thing. And nobody really believes that when it comes to stepping out in front of a bus. Because there is no such thing as your truth and the bus driver's truth. There is one truth. You will die if you step out in front of a bus. It is an absolute truth. It is not subjective. And it's not up for debate. There is such a thing as absolute truth. So start talking that way. In our culture now, something has shifted, hasn't it? People don't look at Christians 
the same way. In our political polarization, part of it gets down to the nitty-gritty of religion, and they want to call names and everything else. You must be this if you believe that. I don't think that's going to get better, minus a work of the Holy Spirit and God doing some kind of revival, which is very possible, something we should pray for. But Jesus said, these people receive the word with joy at first, but then persecution arises on account of the word. On account of the gospel, on account of the scripture, you become persecuted. And that person withers up and falls away. If, if you don't think that's a major issue right now, it is a major issue. We don't have government people kicking in our door and telling us we can't worship. But we have a massive culture that's online, that's in social media, that will press against you if you voice Christianity in any capacity. So we are, in that sense, we're starting to feel that more and more. Verse 18, others are the ones sown among thorns. This is going to be the other problem. They are the ones who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. Daniel and I were talking about the power of weeds. I wish I should have the meme, and I don't, so forgive me. But the, the meme that sums this up best is a picture of a rose that is growing in a carefully cultivated pot. And it's growing, but it's wilting, and the petals are falling. And the little caption under the rose is, not enough nitrous or whatever, nitric oxide in the soil, not enough this, sunlight wasn't right, I can't live, I'm going to die. And then the next picture is of a dandelion in the middle of the interstate, and it says, ooh, look, a crack. Anybody that has ever tried to grow anything understands that weeds need no help. But something you want, like a rose, or green beans, or tomatoes, or whatever it is, you have to cultivate and fight off the weeds. Jesus is saying there are people that receive the word initially, but then the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things choke it out. So maybe you're not somebody susceptible to somebody challenging your faith. Maybe you're the kind of personality that says, well, by golly, if I'm standing strong on the Word of God. I'm not going to bow to your peer pressure. However, the need for that boat means i got to work in such a way that it's going to drown out any priority I place on Scripture or work or worship or God or my desire for what this world has to offer 
drowns out any true heart of worship towards God. In other words, the deceitfulness of riches is just as deadly as persecution from the world. I heard one preacher say it this way, and I think it's one of the best explanations I have ever heard. And he said, we admire those in persecuted countries who stand up for their faith. Bring them to America and give them a $100,000 a year job and a nice house and two vehicles and a pretty wife and a white picket fence and see if they still serve Jesus. Because it is every bit as difficult and it is clearly an issue that it will drown your walk with God, the world that we live in when it's comfortable and at ease and everything is just fine. The deceitfulness of riches is deceit. You don't know that it's happening. You don't know that you're guilty. You don't believe that it's you. But it might be. It might be that church is just the little icing that you put on a rather large cake that you made. And this is my life and my stuff and my things. And I'll just slather a little Christianity on top of that and everything will be fine. Where, where God says your entire life belongs to Him. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Okay. So far, it's been a rough sermon. Because Jesus uses a judgment passage and there's only one group of people out of the four he mentions that has fruit. And those are the people that he calls good soil. So Jesus' ratio is 75% aren't getting it. Now, I'm not saying that's a direct percentage. I'm just saying in this parable. Broad is the path that leads to destruction. And narrow is the way. Narrow is the gate. There's few who find it. You remember Jesus said that too? So how can I make this encouraging? Let's read the final part of the parable. Verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Which, by the way, tenfold is what's normal. That means for every single seed, I get ten tomatoes. That's not a bad ratio. I would have taken that in my garden this year. My garden this year is verse uh, verse 18. Uh, my garden is just a beautiful uh, description of that in verse 18. I had uh, a lovely weed garden um, that was powerful and luscious and green. Um, very frustrating this year in the garden. I would take 10 tomatoes per every seed or 10 potatoes or 10 green beans, but to have 30 or 60 or 100, that is, Jesus is illustrating to a bunch of farmers who would know, he is illustrating that when the Word of God is accepted and received, it produces fruit. 
Jesus said, by their fruit, you would know them. Jesus is saying that Christians are people whose hearts have been changed by the Holy Spirit, so the Word of God goes into it and produces fruit. Good soil. How does the soil get good? Because the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. And we're clearly talking about the condition of hearts. Romans chapter 3 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. So where does the good soil come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And there are people who are resistant and rejecting. And the ones who, according to Jesus here, hear the word and accept it are the ones that are going to bear this fruit. And since I can't make my heart better, I have one application for us. And that is, Jesus, tend the soil of my heart and make it good. Water the soil of my heart and make it good. Lord, do your work in my heart so that I can produce fruit. That is what I want us to take away from this parable. But also, all that about the judgment, all that difficult stuff is, again, it is the warning of Scripture to check your heart and say, am I calloused? Am I hard-hearted? Am I going through the motions? Don't be that. Don't do that. And if you are fearful of that, ask God to do His work in your heart this morning. Let's go ahead and stand up. I did not realize what time it was. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and I thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I pray this morning that you would till the soil of our heart. God, I pray that you would do your work in our hearts and our minds. I pray, God, that there would be nobody in here that is hard-hearted and receiving the Word of God as a dulling effect, as judgment, as a callousing. But God, that instead we would receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save our soul. God, we thank You for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that is at work in the soil of our heart and our mind and in our lives. And I pray You would do that work and that we would see increased fruitfulness in this church. Lord, we thank you for it in the precious name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen, you are officially dismissed.